1: Clubhouse Conversation. And boy, oh boy, are you in for a treat tonight. It's O, and I'm glad you are along right here on Clubhouse Conversation, the place where we normally catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players. But tonight, it's part three of our umpire chats, this time with the coolest umpire name in the history of umpires. Rocky Rowe joins us on Clubhouse Conversation. Rocky Row. you're about to find out over the next couple of hours. Huge personality. The guy is hilarious. I've gotten to know him a little bit the last few days. He joins us tonight here Clubhouse Conversation. During the coronavirus outbreak here in March of 2020, we all need some stuff to laugh at, some great baseball stories from the past. So he'll tell us all about story after story after story from MLB players and managers, including a big focus on the KC Royals. We'll talk about some quirky situations he's been in, ejections, heckles. Strike zones, pitchers, he's loved umpiring, pitchers that were tough to umpire, all sorts of stuff. It's quite the chat. I'm glad you're here as Rocky Row joins us. And first of all, thanks so much for your time tonight. And second of all, how's everything going with you? Uh, played nine holes of golf. It's about 84 degrees,
0: no humidity, and not a cloud in the sky today. So life is good.
1: <laughs> Where are you living at now? Are you in Florida? Is that right?
0: Yeah, I I moved here. Uh, I used to live in the uh, outside of Detroit when I first went to the big leagues, and then 1994, you know, we had young kids, and we moved to Florida just to kind of get another month that I could spend at home because I did spring training. Uh, actually, with Kansas City, they were at Boardwalk and Baseball at the oh. time, and then Lakeland was the Tigers. Uh, Winter Haven was both the Red Sox and Cleveland, and then Atlanta had put a facility in over at uh, Disney, so it's kind of a nice place to be from. Plus, the other thing, too, is being from the Orlando area, you could always get a flight no matter where, you know, coming into, most people going to Disney, so uh, it it was an excellent place to be where you know I, I i might have a game in anaheim going to new york with a day off and i would take the red eye special get home at about 6 in the morning and try and pack about 48 hours into about 15 and then fly out the next day to new york
1: so very nice you mentioned boardwalk and baseball there in baseball city what do you remember about that complex
0: uh actually it was it was kind of ahead of its time because uh it was a great ballpark, and it it really kind of what uh, um, kind of reminded me of the Kansas City's ballpark. When you know, when people used to ask me what what were your favorite ballparks to go to, obviously I grew up in Detroit, so Old Tiger Stadium was pretty cool with Ernie Harwell and all the greats that were there, and then. Uh, but I always, in uh, later in my l- life when we started doing the National League, going to Wrigley Field was pretty cool, and uh, I enjoyed that. But um, I always told people that, you know, when they asked me what one of my favorite stadiums was, I'd, I'd always say Kansas City because Kansas City's ballpark was built for baseball. It wasn't a multi-purpose stadium. So, um, you know, the expressway ran Alongside of it, but yet, you know, kind of sat down the little valley and then with the football stadium right next door, just uh, pretty much had everything you could possibly want.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It still is beautiful um, to this day. So I've become kind of an umpire dork in recent years. I've read a whole bunch of umpire autobiographies. Eric Gregg, Ken Kaiser, Al Clark, Davey Phillips, Derwood Merrill, Dave Pallone, Doug Harvey. Have you read any of those books before?
0: Um, yeah, and, uh, well, uh, Kenny Kaiser I worked with, and Durwood Merrill, of course. Durwood and I, we worked together, oh, probably seven, eight, nine years on different crews. And uh, um, when, I, when I started in the big leagues, I was with, uh, uh, in 79, was with Bell Haller, Russ Goetz, uh, Ron Luciano, and myself, and I, w- I was the young guy, the Re- rest of them were like in their fifties, so it was kind of a, uh, we didn't have a lot in common, but yet they, uh, they liked me. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, coming to the big leagues when you're young, you want to um, have some senior people around you, because they can kind of protect you and also allow you to umpire, so... Um, that was a good crew to be with, but Durwood and I uh, we spent a lot of time together. In fact, Durwood would always—I had a condominium in uh, Haines City, and Durwood would always stay with me there, uh, and uh, we would go to our different spring training sites around in the area. So he and I were together. oh, I'm mean, going to guess better part of 20 years. Every year of spring training, we'd get together and. And uh Durwood was by far the funniest man I've ever been around in my life. You could hear the same same stories year after year, and you'd have you in tears falling on the ground so he was uh he was one of my all time
1: favorites yeah, I've heard that he was really funny. I was going to ask you about him later, so I'm glad you brought him up um so I've got to know about this. So you, you, I work in radio, obviously, and you used to have a company, or maybe you still do, Major League Music Compact Disc Jukeboxes. Well, what was that? Is that still going well, on? Well,
0: that was when I was still living in Michigan, and uh, I, I got involved with some guys that said, you know, we'll give you a bunch of jukeboxes, put them in. Put them in places. so I just I used baseball to kind of get myself in the door and it, it was just kind of a uh, um, sidelight. Uh, at the time I was working in the offseason I worked for a computer um, company and uh, util- it, it was kind of a kind of a neat deal because at the time we only had like 27 employees. And they asked me if I would come on and, you know, be in their marketing department. And they asked me if I could get them in a few places. And so I used baseball to get me in the door. And uh, we had 27 employees when I started. And then I I would always make a phone call. And if I didn't get a hold of the guy, I would say, I would say, just tell him Rocky Row, the major league umpire called. Well, that always guaranteed me a call back, because they were wondering, what in the world, you know, some guy at Ford Motor Company or Chrysler was wondering what a major league umpire was calling. So I always got a lunch, and then I just worked, worked my marketing as far as, hey, listen, I get booed every day in my job, so if you turn me down here, you're not going to hurt my feelings. And uh, it was kind of a nice touch, and... Uh, before I left there, we re-ranked 69th in Ford's magazine in the privately held companies, and we had well over 700 employees.
2: Oh, my gosh.
0: So, so it was one of those things where I got us into Ford Motor Company, Chrysler, General Motors, uh, Manufacturers Hanover, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, it's all, and then finally... Uh, that was one of those things where I just, you know, I was wanting to spend more time with the family, and it, it really wasn't a tough job. They just let me kind of do my day. My day consisted of, you know, lunch and maybe a dinner, and going to a hockey game or something like that to be with clients. And so, it, it wasn't it wasn't real tough, but it got to the point where we were very successful, and I. I felt like I got them going in the right way, and I just said, hey, I'd like to spend more time with my family, and I ultimately did. So.
1: Yeah, wow, that's that's a cool story. I never knew that. Um. So I mentioned to my girlfriend and my mom both that I was going to be talking to you, and they're like, is his name really Rocky Rowe? And I had to explain it's John, but Rocky's the nickname. But where did the nickname Rocky come from? How'd you get that?
0: Well, here's another kind of... Uh kind of a Kansas City uh, niche. When I was in, uh, my real name is John Andrew Rowe, and I have never gone by John a day in my life. When I was a little kid, my mom would call me Jackie. And uh, when, I believe I was like in the fifth grade, or going into fifth grade, and we had moved to a, a suburb called Southfield, Michigan, which is kind of northwest of Detroit. And Rocky Calavito was my favorite player because he had come over from the Cleveland Indians and, you know, don't knock the rock, and he was, you know, he was like my my favorite. And uh, so when the kids asked me my name in the new neighborhood, I said, well, my name's Rocky. And my dad would always call me Rock, too. he just you know, he knew I liked the name, so he would call me Rock. Uh, anyway, I can remember a couple of days, kids coming to the door and say, Hey, can Rocky come out and play? And my mom saying, There's no Rocky that lives there. I go, Whoa, 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 whoa mom, that's me. <laughs> and so I would bust by her and go out. And that night at dinner, she said, Well, since when did you become Rocky? And I said, Well, I, I like the name. So obviously, uh, when I got to the big leagues, and I, I believe Dick Hauser was the manager at the time, and Rocky Calavito was uh, one of his coaches, I went to him and I said, um, "He, I, I asked him, I said, well, you probably don't know this, but when you were at Detroit, you were like my favorite player growing up in Detroit, and I said, would you autograph a baseball for me? And he said, I would be honored to do it. And, when, and it was one of the I still have the ball to this day and it, it was kind of like from ro- one rock to another you're a great umpire good luck in your career and, you know it was really kind of cool and i'm thinking wow that uh, kind of came full circle so yeah i i have i credited myself with naming myself but actually it ended up it's you know it's a good baseball name cuz occasionally i'll be you know, I've been away since 2002, and I'll, somebody will say, What's your name? Is it Rocky Rowan. And they go, You used to be an umpire? Because, you know, it's kinda, <laughs> kind of a catchy name, and I generally am real slow to answer that because I'm afraid that maybe I made a bad call in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know could be some physical or mental abuse cause, uh, so I got to kind of feel the situation before I uh, acknowledge that I am the former umpire.
1: Did you did people try to make ice cream jokes when they'd heckle you and stuff? Did you hear like, you know, that crap your whole life?
0: Nah, well, you know what I always tell people, you know, uh, my name's Rocky Rowe and uh I said if you forget, just think of the ice cream because my life has been a rocky road. <laughs> and generally they'll laugh and, and they'll go, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. So it's it's kind of a throwaway line, but it's uh, gotten me three rounds of golf from a lot of different places.
1: So, there you go. Okay, so you mentioned Southfield, Michigan, suburb of Detroit, and then you played uh, baseball growing up. First base in college, Eastern Michigan University. You guys won the 1970 NAIA National Championship. So what are your favorite memories of that year?
0: Well, i tell you what, it, it's – really pretty cool and obviously this is our 50th anniversary and we were all set to have a uh, uh, the team get back together i think off of that team i think we've had three guys pass away but the rest of the team was going to be at eastern michigan uh, i think it was may 9th but when this uh coronavirus came up they canceled it so they're going to hopefully try and uh, do it at the alumni game in the fall. Um, I was kind of looking forward cuz a lot of those guys I haven't seen in years. So uh uh but that particular ball club um I scored the winning run. I got him I got him base. Um got bunted over to second hit to the right side. I went to third base and believe it or not, I wasn't gifted with, you know, they used to time me with a calendar, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I scored the only run in the championship game on a, on a, uh, sacrifice fly. We won one, nothing. And, uh, uh, we played that game out in it was out in Phoenix. And, uh, The the following year we went to NCAA, so it it was kind of neat. in In my lifetime, I played on four national championship teams, three in the sandlots, and ironically, one of my high school teammates is going in the Hall of Fame this year. Ted Simmons, who played in St. You know, he Uh most of his career was in St. Louis, but he and I were in high school together, and then. one of my college roommates from that national championship baseball team at Eastern Michigan was Terry Collins, really? who was the manager of the New York Mets. Yes. So there was uh, a lot of really cool things of, uh, you know, I remember Terry one night was in California, and their ball club was getting beat like 15 to 1, and he came over, I was working the plate, and he says, you got to eject me, I'm tired. I, I said, Terry, I, I can't eject you. He said, well, I I could curse that. I said, no problem. I said, if I got to stay out here and watch this, you're going to stay out here and watch this. I'm not ejecting yet. So he said, please, I can't stand it. They're killing me. I said, no, you got to stay and watch it. If I got to stay here, you're staying here. So.
1: That's a great story. Oh, gosh. That's funny. Okay, so you went into the Eastern uh, Michigan Hall of Fame in 2001, and then you graduated with a degree in business administration. But I want to talk about umpiring, obviously. So my first question is, so what age did you start umpiring sports, and then where did that idea and passion come from?
0: Ironically, um, let me just give you some of the names of the guys because there's a couple of Kansas City Royals in there. I played sandlot ball against Tommy Pichorek, really, John Mayberry, Steve Garvey, Frank Tanana, uh, Ted Simmons, obviously, and the Detroit Sandlots back in the uh, 60s was a hotbed for, in fact, we used to have two teams in the sandlot. One was Coca-Cola and Pepsi. They both had teams. And a lot of them were made up of some ex-major leaguers that still lived in town and worked for the company. And literally, uh, at that time, on a Sunday afternoon at West Grand Boulevard, which was kind of in the shadows of the Detroit Olympia, where the Red Wings played hockey, uh, they would outdraw the Detroit Tigers, (laughs) It, it was incredible. There would be eight, ten thousand 10,000 people on a Sunday afternoon watching those two, two teams play. So Sandlot Baseball in Detroit was huge. And uh, I had an absolute love for the game. And obviously, and, and ironically, um, I think it was my uh, junior or senior year, I asked uh, Coach Ostrike, who's in the collegiate, uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, he has since passed. I asked him if it'd be all right if I umpired, um, in during fall fall baseball, and he said, "Yeah, go ahead." So I'd put shin guards on, and, you know, catcher's mask and catcher's chest protector, and I got behind home plate and was doing it and kind of enjoyed it. And literally in my life, I always thought that you know. Uh, because I played on some great baseball teams with obviously some great baseball players, that my hope was to be a Major League Baseball player. Well, that didn't work out. And uh, I remember I umpired my first game was uh, around April 4th, and it was a high school game. And uh Fraser Michigan and it was cold as all get it was <laughs> like it was like a midwinter day but I was umpiring baseball that was my first game and that was 1976 and I umpired my first game in the big leagues July 2nd 1979 jeez So I went to uh I went to the umpire school there were 363 applicants for 11 jobs, and I got one of the 11 jobs, and I got placed in the Florida State League, is where I started out, and then the following year, I was promoted to Double A, which was the Eastern League, which was Jersey City, New Jersey, you know, the Florida State League was beautiful, because it was all spring training facilities, so, oh, if you yeah. were, plus you're going to Miami and West Palm Beach and St. Pete and Tampa, cool cities to go to, and using... You know, major league ballpark spring training, so the lights were spectacular. Well, the next year I got promoted to the Eastern League, which was Reading, Pennsylvania, and Jersey City, New Jersey, where, you know, uh, I hope nobody's from New Jersey out there, but, you know, it's, it's the only city I ever went to where my partner and I went out and we looked for either a female or a male who was remotely good looking in <laughs> Jersey City and couldn't find anybody. So it was like uh and that was that was I think it was called Roosevelt Stadium and I believe and if we have fact checkers <laughs> I, I may be wrong here, but I think that was the first stadium that Jackie Robinson played in the minor leagues. Huh. So this stadium was old, and the lighting—you know—you almost needed like a miner's helmet to help light the field uh, <laughs> as an umpire. But uh, those ballparks were not nearly as good as as uh, as the Florida State League. Yeah. And then came the famous 1979 strike, of which I was offered a job in the big leagues. Oh gosh. So, which. Yeah, think about, I haven't called a pitch in A, and all of a sudden I'm being offered a major league job, and really, quite frankly, um, I remember meeting Commissioner Bowie Kuhn and Lee McPhail, and I talked to my dad the night before, and I said, Dad, I don't know what to do, I said, you know, if you tell him no, I may never get another, and my dad was a was in the construction business in Detroit which is a big union town and he said listen I'd be very proud of whatever decision you make but he said you above all else have uh, got the easiest decision because you haven't even called a pitch in triple A yet. Yeah. So he said you figure, you'll figure figure it out what to say so I met with Bowie Coon, Lee McPhail, and Fred Flagg was the president of the National League, and I went into this room and they said, well, have you reached the decision? I said, yeah, I have. I said, I've, at this point, I've known my dad for 28 years. He's never steered me wrong. And I said, I've known you people for two weeks. And my dad said he'd be very proud of me to be a Major League umpire, but he didn't think I should take the job under these circumstances and cross picket lines and, all that kind of stuff. So I said, I am uh, thrilled that you guys asked me, but I'm going to turn the job down. Well, when that door clicked behind me, I thought, man, hmm. I'm going, this is, that, that that door may never open again. Well, fortunately for me, and unfortunately for Bill Kunkel, he got uh, kidney stones, and I was promoted to the big leagues on July 2nd, 1979. And I stayed there right on through till two thousand and two. That's amazing. So yeah, it was. uh, And the the nice thing about it is, uh, um, you know, and it was one of those situations where um, guys guys that had more time that took jobs. It was kind of an ugly time at the time, but you know, I I uh, I got along with them. I mean. Uh, My decision, mine was the easiest one to make because, like I said, I hadn't been to AAA yet. So um, mine was really, quite frankly, the simplest one to make. You know, you might say say courageous. I I don't think so because it was an easy decision for me to make. But once again, you don't know if that door will ever open again. So I guess looking back on it, I was... uh, pleased with my decision and pleased that I got invited back.
1: I'll call it ballsy. Those are my words, not yours. <laughs> there you go. So, okay, so so backing up one question real quick. So, you you graduated or finished at Eastern Michigan in 73. And then what were you doing until 77 then when you finished the umpiring school?
0: I worked uh I worked in uh real estate in Ohio. I went to work for a uh a cousin who was a big developer of mobile home parks, and I got out of school and I had a business administra- administration degree, and uh, you know I, I was making good money and you know but something was just missing, just you know, um, and uh, finally decided I'm gonna, I'm going to come back to to uh, to Michigan from Ohio and uh, I started working for a couple companies, uh, um, for a company called Inland Tool Manufacturing that was owned, uh, um, ironically, by Ralph Wilson, who owned the Buffalo Bills. Huh. And uh, started working for them and, yeah, I would worked some odd jobs and I thought, you know, um, I'd like to get back involved in baseball. And so, ironically, Uh, On uh, 1976, 4th of July, Redford Union High School, I'm working a ball game. And after the game, a scout who had scouted both Ted Simmons and me when we were in high school, uh, by the name of Ed Catalinas. Now, his claim to fame was scouting and signing a guy by the name of Al Kaline which is a pretty good name yeah. in baseball. And he stayed around after the game but, and uh, he goes, Rocky? And I go, Mr. Catalinas, how are you? I, I said, good. And he uh, he said, uh, you know, you do a pretty good job umpiring. Have you ever thought about doing this as a profession? And I said, no, nah, not really. He said, well, do me a favor. Call me down at the stadium tomorrow and uh, I'll give you some information. I mean, I knew nothing about umpire schools. I mean, at the time, uh, I think Harry Wendelstad had a school and uh, Bill Kinnaman had had another umpire school. And so I called him that following day. Well, what he did was he told me, he says, you know, you do a pretty good job on it and the game needs good young umpires. And he said, you know, if you, uh, if you want to do it, he said, um, you know, we can always put in a word if if you get a job. And he said, there's no guarantees you're going to get a job if you get a job, if you want to come to Lakeland to work spring training. I said, hey, that'd be great. Yeah. So I, I don't even know what I'm doing. So I go home and I tell my wife I said, hey, I'm thinking of getting back involved in baseball. And she goes, well, you're too old to play, aren't you?" And I go, uh, I'm talking about umpire. And she goes, what? And I said, yeah, what it'll entail will be that I'm going to leave home like in February, go to spring training, and I'll get home in October. And immediately she went and got my bags and started packing them. (laughs) And really, quite frankly, the key to my 47-year marriage is that I was gone half the time. So there weren't many arguments. So, anyway, long story short, uh, Ed Catalinas gave me the the number of the Bill Kinman umpire school. I I went I went to it that following winter, and uh, I was hired by uh, uh, the Florida State. I did my spring training at Lakeland, which was really kind of cool because I ran into a lot of people that you know would come down to. Watched the Tigers in spring training, so I was seeing people that I knew, and uh, I worked there, and then went to the Florida State League, and you kind of heard the early part of it. The rest is history.
1: Yeah. Okay. So here's another few names of great umpires. So Larry Barnett, Mike Riley, Durwood Merrill. You joined that crew. So, so from what I read, June 7th of '82, um, Lou Demiro was an umpire that was struck and killed. By a car in Arlington, and that's how you got on that crew. Is that is that how it went down? And did you know Lou at all?
0: I, I did know Lou, and um,
2: uh,
0: really a good man. I mean, he was he was a great guy. And Lou um, had taken some medication, and it, uh, it uh, Kansas City can get hot, but the Dallas Arlington area can get really hot. Yeah. Sure. And he was out for a walk after a game, and I guess from all, uh, uh, it was a horrendous accident, but he, the medication kind of got to him, and he just kind of walked out into traffic, got hit by a car, and got killed. Um, then I go and meet that crew, and obviously they were in shock, and uh, that's where I first met Durwood and Larry Barnett. And— uh, we, we stayed together for, uh, in my crowd, we stayed together, uh, for a number of years, and Larry Barnett, uh, is my soon-to-be 37-year-old son's godfather. Really? So, yeah, we've, we've, and we still talk to each other, you know, once a month, and see how we're doing, how the family's doing, and stuff like that, but, uh. Oh. Yeah, I, Larry was real good to me. He was the crew chief and, uh, uh, you know, it was one of those things where, uh, you know, it, it, it was a, a great job in that Larry made it a work environment where we really had a good time. We would go to the ballpark laughing, we would go on the field laughing, we would have a good time, do a job and go back in the locker room and tell them how great we were. Night, so yeah, one of those things where it was a fun place, fun place to work.
1: Well, Arlington isn't that's where uh, Steve Palermo had the tragedy too, right? That's a bad yeah, city for umpires. Yeah,
0: yeah it was, uh, and and I love going to Arlington. And, you know, it was a great town but there were two real bad umpire tragedies there that uh, you know, just uh, unmistakable bad. Bad timing, wrong ti- wrong spot, wrong time—you know, one of those things. So, uh, yeah, that, you know, you bring back some memories there.
1: Yeah. Um, who were some other umpires that were on your cruise throughout the years?
0: Uh, Davey Phillips. Um, let's see, Davey Phillips, Durwood, and I, and Dale Scott. Oh, okay. Uh, worked together for probably seven years. I worked a couple years with Joe Brinkman and Rick Reed and um, uh, Daryl Cousins. Wow. And then towards the end of my career, uh, I worked with John Shulock, who uh, is another guy that I keep in contact with, and uh, he uh, he was a good guy, too. So I, I had a lot of fun with all the crews I worked with. Yeah, I, I got a... I used to do, like, motivational talks for Merrill Lynch, and uh, what I would always say is, you know, you're lucky if you have a job that you're really excited about and that you enjoy. And um, I really, truly enjoyed umpiring. You know, the booing and the, you know, uh, the sports writers writing nasty things about you, that's part of the part of the part of the scene, but I really enjoyed umpiring. I got a, I got a kick every time I walked out on the field. So,
1: so we talked about 86 in Arlington. So fast forward uh, April 1st of 96. Uh, I promise I'm not only going to ask about tragedies, but then uh, John McSherry obviously had a heart attack opening day in Cincinnati, passed away. Now I know that hit home really hard for you and you took a leave of absence to do a, a weight loss program. So did you know John at all and then how tough of a day was that for you?
0: Yeah, John was one of my instructors at the Empire oh. school uh, in 1976, or 77, I'm sorry, and then in 1978 and 79, I was on the instructor staff at the same school with John McSherry, and John was one of those guys that was, you know, he was, first off, he had a booming voice, and, uh, you know he he was he, he was very funny. You know if the guys were screwing up on the field, he'd see some pet dog over behind the fence, and he'd go start talking to the dogs, so, say you know maybe you'll understand if it if I explain how you're supposed to do a double play. And he'd start talking to the dog. He was a funny man, and uh, yeah, that was a tragedy. That that truly was a. Uh, a loss because he was one of those guys that, you know, I I not only did I look up to as an instructor, but uh, you know, he was he was a good man that was, you know went on home way too early.
1: Yeah. Well, I know Major League Baseball was real supportive of you, and then Eric Gregg um, also joined the weight loss program. How much did that mean to you, uh, and how challenging was that program?
0: Well, it it actually. Um, it was one of those things where you know stuff still stays with me today. In fact, I just I did a, a speech last year in in uh, um, Michigan for the Michigan Business Association, and uh, one of the guys presenting was a former television guy in D- the Detroit area, and he said, "Man, you look." You look like you could still umpire, and I said, "Well, I'm going to consider that a uh, compliment because, man, uh, you know it's it's something that you know i i am I was diagnosed at 52. My all my family members had diabetes, but I wasn't diagnosed with it until the age of 52, which was towards the end of my career in the big leagues, and so I've got to kind of. Uh, not eat too crazy at times, and you know, so it's kind of taught me to to try and maintain, but I'm never gonna be a guy that you know you're gonna see in a jeans commercial, but you know <laughs> unless it's a uh, bib overall <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> yeah you like uh you liked the Strouds and the gates like me here in k c right the barbecue Well, the... I,
0: now see now you're now you're hitting and um, you know I when I was thinking about doing this interview in Kansas City, I go, I don't even know if it's still is the park place still there?
2: The park place? What's that? It
0: was a hotel. Oh. That's where we used to stay. Stroud's was obviously one of our favorite spots, and barbecue galore there. And then I used to play golf out at Lakewood Oaks Country Club.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: And the cloth, right? Didn't all the umpires go to the cloth?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, but... <laughs> Yeah, it, it was one of those things where uh, I used to always love to come to Kansas City. I mean, I, I really did. It, first off, Kansas City had a bunch of guys that I really liked, and um, a lot of, well, George Brett was always one of my favorites. He used to always make me laugh. <laughs> and, uh, well, let me tell you, I'll tell you George Brett's story. Please do. When I first went to the Big Leagues in 1979, George had this way about him where he would tap your shin guards and he'd go hey how's my favorite umpire doing and i'm thinking shoot i've been here like three months and i'm george brett's favorite umpire i'm feeling pretty good about myself <laughs> and i'm thinking man so after the game of course i'm working with three guys in their 50s ron luciano Russ gets and bill haller and bill haller was the dean of american league umpires and Bill used to smoke a pipe and kind of sit in a rocking chair. And I go, Bill, you know, what kind of guy is George Brett? He goes, oh, George's a great guy. Rarely argues, you know, good guy. Why? And I said, well, you know, he kind of made me feel good, but I, you know, I, I don't know how to take it. And I didn't really want to tell him, because these are senior umpires. I don't want to look like a fool, you know, so... I said, well, when he came up the bat tonight, he tapped my shin guards and said, how's my favorite umpire doing? And next thing I know, it looks like Bill Heller's doing smoke signals in the sky. He's rocking back and kind of smiling. He says, hey, Ronnie, when George got to first base, what did he say? He turned around and said, how's my favorite umpire doing? (laughs) Hey, Russ, when George got to second base, what did he say? And... How's my favorite umpire doing? <laughs> and then Ronnie goes to Bill Haller. He said, "Billy, when he got to third base, what did he say to you?" He says, "Yeah, how's my favorite umpire doing?" <laughs> so I go, hmm, "I'm seeing a pattern here." So, <clears throat> excuse me, but George George was one of those guys that uh, he he uh, in fact told when the the night he retired. I watched, remember how they used to do the Sunday night conversations on ESPN? Yeah. And the night he was doing it, he, uh, <coughs> excuse me, he tells that story. And I'm going, oh, George, don't you do it, don't you do it. And he goes, and, uh, he told a story, and I'm going, oh, I'm looking like a fool all across America. <laughs> but I have one other great George Brett story. Yeah, what is it? Uh. Because he, he, he was one of those guys, you know, George kind of transcends umpires in baseball. George was one of those guys where, you know, I don't hunt. I don't know if George hunts, but if he said, let's go hunting, I'd probably go hunting with him. (laughs) And he he was just, he was one of those guys, he was kind of a man's man. And I just, I, I thought he was really cool. And, uh, um. But as an umpire, you know, he knew what the boundaries were and everything. But I can honestly say I never had a, I don't take a harsh word with him. Well, he comes up one night in uh, Kansas City. And, of course, Ivan Rodriguez, I believe, was a rookie mm-hmm. with Texas at the time. And when you have a future Hall of Famer, Coming up to bat, it requires that the catcher has to go out and talk to the pitcher. So he leaves on plate, and George taps me on the shin guards, and he goes, Rocky, I'm going bad. He said, I couldn't hit with a two-by-four. But he said, I'll tell you what, play along with me. And I said, George, I don't know what that means, but okay. (laughs) So— first pitch comes in and it's a slider and it's got a good piece of the plate and I call it a strike of which he steps back and goes, Rock, that's not a good pitch. I said, George, that's a great pitch. He said, that's not a good pitch. I said, George, throws it there again, it's going to be a strike. (laughs) Well, I can't hit that pitch. Well, when he said that, a little light bulb on my head went, bing! And I'm thinking... This whole thing going back and forth with us is for that rookie catcher in front of us, <laughs> Ivan Rodriguez. So now, I'm going, well, this son of a gun just set this kid up. Here comes a slider, and George hit it. And you remember those waterfalls in the outfield? Oh, yeah. It went into the highest, furthest <laughs> one. I, I never saw a ball go that far. And so, as... George hits first base, and this ball is disappearing into the into the early evening uh, light. Ivan Rodriguez has got both hands on his hip, and he says, I thought he said he could hit that pitch. <laughs> of which, I said, young man, you've just been had by one of the greats of all time. And when he... Stepped on the home plate, he blew me a kiss. He went, <laughs> and I started laughing. I'm going, ah, uh, now un- I unwittingly was a part of his. Well, I, I'm going to take credit for one of the home runs he hit. I don't know how many he hit, but I'm taking credit for that one because I was a part of that one. Uh, although I didn't know what I was doing, but but that's the kind of, that's the kind of guy George. you know, when you look back on it, it's. It's a story that I tell at a lot of banquets, but it's an absolutely true story. Unbelievable!
1: What a great story! So, okay, so '84 and '94, you did uh, the All-Star games. Any favorite memories of those two, or either of them?
0: Well, '84 All-Star game, I was was played at uh, Candlestick Park, and of course, we didn't, you know, we didn't run into National League guys there, but. So we had to do a lot of stuff, you know, where we didn't intermingle. Uh, So I'd never been to Candlestick Park before, but I knew San Francisco, you know, it's kind of like the coldest winter I ever spent was the summer in San Francisco. So it was like one of those things where I'm thinking, well, okay, this game's going back east. So they're going to start it at like 5 o'clock, so it's 8 o'clock back east. And I've got the right field foul line because I was one of the the young boys on the crew. So I've got I'm manning the right field foul line. Lou Whitaker hit a ball that landed about 12 foot fair, that I pointed fair, and that was all I did for the night. That was it. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, Dave. It was the cold. I I didn't take any long underwear with me because I'm figuring, hey, 5 o'clock, so I'm still going to be out. Three-hour game, it's still done at 8 o'clock, not a big deal. That was the coldest I've ever been on a field. It it was freezing. And because it was so cold, at the time, we set the all-time all-star record with, I think it was like 29. If you look back, In 84, I think there were 29 strikeouts in the game. It was, and it it wasn't a very high-scoring game. And then the 94 uh, was in Pittsburgh, and uh, I had third base that night. Wasn't much to it, and uh, run was scored in the bottom of the ninth. I remember... Pudge Rodriguez was the catcher, and he was walking off the field. The guy was safe. Uh, Paul Rungi had called him safe at home plate. And uh, I said, Pudge, give me the ball. And, and I have the ball to this day. It was from the All-Star game. That, that was the winning run.
2: Oh, cool. And
0: didn't realize You know, didn't think of it at the time, but I thought, well, you know, somebody in Pittsburgh would like to have this. So I have a buddy of mine that I play golf with that was from Pittsburgh, so I gave it to him.
2: Wow. So
0: Nice guy. Anyway, that but uh, that one that one was kind of cool. The festivities in Pittsburgh, not so much in because I had my wife and uh, my. Let's see, that would have been in uh, July, so my son would have been about a year old. He was just kind of tottering around, and we took my sister with me. She was kind of so Jeannie could go to the game, and my sister babysat. Christopher, and uh, so we made it kind of a family affair. So I didn't do many things uh, like I did in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, we went out, and we actually saw Tony Bennett sing, and, uh, and at the concert, we met uh, Danny Glover and uh, Michael Keaton. Wow. Both of those guys were from Pittsburgh, so they, they generally bring people that are like in show business that live in the town, they bring them in for the game, so, which was really kind of cool
1: what 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 about those two world series in ninety and ninety nine
0: uh nineteen ninety um the well if you remember eighty nine was a year that was um postponed for a while mm-hmm. because of the earthquake mm-hmm. and the oakland a's beat i believe san francisco yep oakland comes into this like they are you know, like Murderer's Row, you got McGuire, you got uh, um, Conseco and Walt Weiss, uh, I, I believe Carney Lansford mm-hmm. was on that team. Ricky. They had a really good ball club. And you got Dennis Eckersley and you got Bob Welch, who was a Cy Young Award winner and ironically, Bob Welch went to Eastern Michigan oh, really? uh, after I did. Um, in fact, I took him out and showed him the campus on a recruiting visit. Um, but anyway, getting back to the game, I had game two, which was, it, it was a sweep uh, by Cincinnati Reds, completely outmanned Oakland. It was, it was unbelievable in that, you know, they got the best reliever in the game, Dennis Eckersley, and and uh, Cincinnati just, they were the. They had the nasty boys, and yeah. they? they had Dibble and Norm Charlton and uh, uh,
1: Randy Myers.
0: Randy Myers, yeah, I was,
1: yeah.
0: I was drawing a blank there, but they had uh, they had real good, you know, good pitching. And then they had Chris Sable, who had the <laughs> you know the series of his life. And they had Eric Davis. And, you know, they had a good ball club.
2: Very Larkin, and, maybe too. Right?
0: Uh, I'm sorry.
1: Barry Larkin might have been on that team, too, I think.
0: Yeah, Barry Larkin was on that team. Marietta, so they Duncan. Were, they yeah. were they were a good ball club, but, you know, everybody just hands down had thought, well, Oakland's going to win this, and no problem. And I had game two in Cincinnati, and it went extra innings. And Joe Oliver, who lives in the Orlando area, and he and I see each other at golf outings every once in a while, uh, Got a base hit down the line, a double. That you know, they don't pay you by the hour being an umpire, and they, uh, you know, if you can get out out of there without death threats or having to use the grenades to get off the field, it's a good night, you know. <laughs> so when he got that hit, I was like uh, very excited because uh, when you when you're done working the plate, then you go to the foul. you go man the foul lines, which there's not a whole lot of trouble you can get in down there. So uh, and that was a sweep so it, we went out to Oakland played two games and that was over. Yeah. Uh, the uh 90 World Series was also a sweep. Uh, I may be the only uh major league umpire that uh, in history that has worked two World Series for a total of eight games. Yeah. Um uh, the Yankees beat Atlanta. I had uh uh, a really good matchup. I had uh, David Cohn and, uh, uh, oh, I can't say a right-hander young guy with Atlanta. Smoltz? What was it?
1: John Smoltz?
0: No, it wasn't Smoltz. Um, I can't think of his name. I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. That's all those foul tips I took. So <laughs> they're they're starting short-term memory loss.
1: Hang on, so, I'm going to look it up but, here on my phone. But he,
0: he was a good young pitcher, too, and I just uh, – um, it was a great game, and uh, Yankees won the two there. And then ironically, um, uh, a week or so earlier during the playoffs, I was caddying for a, a buddy of mine uh, at the Disney tournament. He was playing in the Pro-Am. He was Central Florida's title rep, so he said, You want to you wanna, uh, caddy for me? And I said, Yeah, I'll caddy. Why not? So I looped for him, and uh, we we were playing with uh, I think it was Stuart Scott of ESPN and uh, Payne Stewart and it might have been Wayne Levy. Wow! And Payne Stewart was a diehard baseball fan, and I I had played golf with with some of the guys there. And, uh, Payne was all during, the well, he was playing for real, but it was kind of like a pro where they had, Disney has a couple of amateurs playing in it. And this was, I guess, his practice round, but all he wanted to do was talk baseball. So he said, uh, hey, you know, when you get back, let's play some golf because I want to hear some. Baseball stories, and I said, "Well, yeah, I want to hear some golf stories too." <laughs> so he said, "Deal." We we made a deal. So, ironically, after Game Two, we had flown with the uh, television crew. Um, from, I think it was uh, Greg Sager.
1: Greg Sager, yeah.
0: He he, I was waiting for my bags at. Uh, we were at Laguardia. And I was staying across the street at the Wyndham Hotel, so I didn't have very far to go, but I was standing there, and I had told him the story, because we were fortunate enough to fly in first class, Uh, uh, and so we were up there with a lot of the television people, and and he was asking about, you know, do you get to play golf? I said, you know, I just, ironically, I just made a deal with playing golf because he was a big baseball fan with Payne Stewart. (laughs) So anyway, I go to the luggage deal and I'm standing there and Greg Sager comes up to me and says, have you heard about Payne Stewart? And I go, no, what? He goes, "Uh, he's dead. And my first thing was, I said, heart attack? And he goes, no, he's he's in a plane that is still flying. And they don't know where it's going to go down, but they're running out of fuel. And I said, oh, you got to be kidding me!" So I, I went over. Uh, of course, I was only ten minutes from the hotel, so I went over there and went to my room, turned it on, watched, you know, about the last hour and twenty minutes of it before it fell out of the sky. And uh, that was what I re- what I remember most about that World Series because just just a couple weeks earlier he had signed a it's like an American flag, a titleless golf ball, and a, his pitcher where he had won the u s Open and he uh, he had signed it to me and uh, it, I had gotten it like oh two weeks before he passed away so mm. that was that was one of those things that was just kind of devastating and uh, but he was he was a good guy. He was really a nice person.
1: The right-hander was uh, Kevin Millwood, by the way. Was the Kevin the
0: Millwood? That's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, he was he was a good right-handed pitcher. Thank you for yeah. That that that's a beauty. You've got that uh, you've got Google there, and you can you can help an old umpire out there by <laughs> <laughs> reaching back, ask Siri who it was. But anyway.
1: I like this one. So you were behind the plate for the final game at Tiger Stadium, which I'm guessing was probably done as a tribute to you. Um, it was against the Royals, too. What do you remember most about that day?
0: That, this, was, this was really cool. Um, ironically, the year before, they closed the, the closest stadium down. It was the end of September 1999. In 1998, I was working with Dave Phillips, and I knew I was going to be with him the next year. And I said, Dave, I have a request. And uh, he goes, what? And I said, they're closing Tiger Stadium down next year. And I said, I'd kind of like to work that series. He said, Well, I'll put in for it. And I and they go. He goes, Do you want work to work the play? I said, Whatever. If it, however it works out, I, I'm good with it. I just want to, you know, because I I wanted to pay that one last visit because I can remember growing up. Um, I remember when I was in like fifth grade, I thought my mom was the coolest lady in the world because she called in sick for me, unbeknownst to school, <laughs> and said, Come on, we're going to. We took the bus from where we lived in Southfield, Michigan to downtown Detroit, and she took me to opening day. Oh, wow. And I remember we sat in the bleachers, and I remember walking out. And I really had a love affair with the game, but, um, and I'm sure you understand what I'm going to say. The grass is always greener in the Major League Ballpark.
2: Oh, yeah. You
0: know, in football season, it's green at the beginning of the season, but as it goes on, it kind of fades. But baseball, it always seems like, the, you know, the field is so green. And uh, I remember the last game doing an interview with a a guy by the name of Frank Beckham Beckman that I, he he worked for WW, uh, WWJ, or WJR, I'm sorry, uh, radio station that did the Tiger games. And he said, well, you know, we did an early interview, and he said, well, what do you think, the last day uh, you're going to be working home plate? And I said, well, you know what? It'd be kind of cool if someone hit one over the roof yes. one last time. And, uh. I had been there for a couple of them, and I was working home plate when Cecil Fielder hit one over the left field roof, which I had never, I don't think that had ever been done before. And so that was kind of impressive to watch. But uh, here was a um, young kid that hit, he was a left-handed hitter. You're going to have to figure out who it was, but I can't remember his name. Was it Beltran? No, it was a Detroit Tiger player,
2: oh. and he hit
0: he hit a home run, and it went up on the roof, and I thought, well, isn't this something? And so um, the start of the game was cool because George Brett brought out the lineup,
2: and Al Kaline
0: brought out the lineup, which was really very cool. And uh, I asked both of them, I say, hey, do me a favor sign the back of this lineup card and i still have those lineup cards to this day oh cool because you know first off it meant something to me but the four days that we worked there what what was really cool was you know when i was at third base i'd think well yeah i remember my dad and i we sat there and then uh second base i I looked out at the bleachers where my mom and i had sat on that opening day when i was like 10 years old and then uh I remember my sister had a shower, and my dad said, well, the boys have to clear out of the house, so let's go go uh, to Tiger Stadium and watch a ball game. And that night, it was kind of a fall night, and it was cold. And the thing I remember about it is, some guy was carrying, and this is back in the 60s, late 60s, and a guy was carrying about a thirty-two-ounce beer in both hands and the foul ball was coming to him and he didn't know what to do so he stuck one in his lips and leaned back to catch the ball well, when he did that it went all down the front of him Ooh. Froze. <laughs> Man, everybody in the stands started laughing because this guy <laughs> soaked himself with about a 32 ounce beer and that was a thing <laughs> and on top of it he lost the beer and didn't get the ball oh god Anyway, but when I got to first base, we were over in that area. It was out kind of where the bullpen was, and I thought, "Well, I sat there with my dad that night. That guy spilled beer on him." So, so it was kind of a nostalgic week. Right. And uh, Ernie Harwell, Hall of Famer, was always good about. It. He would come by the locker room, and of course, Durwood and I would regale him with the. Uh, uh, and Mike Riley was on the crew and. Mike Riley was from Battle Creek, Michigan, so he'd always walk in and say, "Well, the Michigan Mafia is here tonight," <laughs> uh, meaning Mike and I were in town. And but he would stay there for a half hour. And uh, you know, I'm I when I look back on people I met, really good people that I met. That you know, when I was a little kid, I can remember my dad saying. Rock, turn that radio. You know, I'd have yeah. a little transistor under my, oh yeah, my pillow, and I was listening to Ernie Harwell and Tiger Game, and then he was the man. here, the real thing is in my. And you know, <laughs> I, I look back on it, and it, I was really blessed in my career to meet some very nice people.
1: Uh, the 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 hitter was Robert Fick, by the way. Robert
0: though. Fick. That's it. A grand slam. That's it.
1: Grand slam uh, off of Jeff Montgomery. Yeah. Uh,
0: now what was cool was we got we got to the end of that game and Carlos Beltran was the last hitter and I, I can't remember what it was like eleven to five or something like this and I go and uh, there was two strikes and he looked back at me and I, I, I uh, murmured to him uh, uh, Carlos if it's a good pitch take a swing at it because it's gonna be a strike. <laughs> I said, I said, we got to close the stadium right, and so he laughed at me, and strike three, and game's over, and uh, he did swing at it, he was he was uh, judicious about that, but that was one of those things where, you know, game had already been decided, it was, uh, you know, it was really a, a cool, uh, really cool ceremony that, you know, we heard from the locker room, but our goal was to get out and shower and get away from the stadium because uh, we'll beat the traffic, and so that's what we did.
1: Now, so you mentioned Broadcaster. Did you ever know Denny Matthews for the Royals or Fred White or any of those guys with the Royals, radio guys?
0: Uh, yeah, in fact, I'll tell you what. Now, I'm going to give you a little a little blast uh, uh, because I listen to him da- daily. I go back far enough that I remember when Rush Limbaugh, yeah, used to bring out the uh, the the anthem singer.
2: <laughs> that's
1: right. That's right. I heard about that.
0: So, anyway,
1: that's old school. Old school, Rush. yeah. Now, okay. So, what made you choose to walk away from? Uh, so, it was two thousand two. You retired, right? What made you choose to walk away?
0: Uh, say that one more time.
1: Uh, what made you choose to walk away and retire from baseball in two thousand two?
0: Well, I tell you what. I had uh, two knee operations, and uh, that that started the process that grew to seven knee operations, and uh, the the last two were um, total total knee replacements. Yeah. So,
1: I guess that'll do it. <laughs>
0: yeah so it was one of those things where I would have loved to stay in the game, but uh, you know it just didn't work out. Um, i was I was fortunate enough to work with some good people and and uh, um, have a good time, have a good career, uh, meet some really nice people along the way, go to some great cities. Uh, and like i said i I was honored to you know I, I never thought anybody ever ever paid to come see me work other than family members or friends but I never tried to make the game about me and you know uh, uh, one of my one of my favorite catchers and this was a Kansas City uh, uh, guy who was Bob Boone, when oh, yeah. he came over. And Bob Boone was one of the greatest handlers of pitches as a catcher that I ever saw. He could just, like, tilt the glove, and you'd think, you know, you'd call it a ball, and then you'd go, Bob, was that a good pitch? And he'd go, no. <laughs> it was kind of like, he was so good and so subtle with his hands, He he might have been the greatest manipulator I ever saw with regards to handling pitches and making bad pitches look good. He was he was really a um, uh, a good catcher and, and he liked when I came to town because ironically he'd hit a home run every time I worked the plate. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah, so he, I was I was like a hero. I could have I could have missed one down the middle. He wouldn't go say anything to me. He was just tickle to death that you know, he hit a home run. So,
1: <laughs> what's what's the funniest thing you ever heard a fan yell at you? Anything memorable?
0: Well, nothing that we could talk on radio, <laughs> dude. I mean, well, one guy, one guy in Oakland, uh, that that made Kenny Kaiser, Kenny Kaiser, and I. We we, uh, let's see. Where do I start? I threw out Joe Morgan and Dave Kingman and Kenny got Jackie Moore and somebody else and they had put in a young third baseman and Cleet Boyer who was now the acting manager and he came down to me and he said, uh, I know you and Kenny are having a good time ejecting us today, but he said if you throw out my third baseman, I'm going to have to play. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, "I think we're safe. I, said, I think we've gotten rid of all the troublemakers today, so we're good now." Well, it was two days later. Kenny and I were out in the outfield between innings talking, and some guy with a voice that you could have heard heard from from uh, downtown Kansas City to here in Florida, he goes, "Hey." Geyser, why don't you get out of town and take your little brother with you? <laughs> me and me, <laughs> which we both start. I go, no, that's a good one. I like that one. I like. Uh, <laughs> I, I like people that uh, throw a, a new. You know, they would always say nasty things to you and and you'd look in the stands go oh that's real good for the kids there nice nice talk (laughs) yeah right (laughs) and then we'd humiliate them and uh so it was kind of like uh but that one that one was my favorite
1: did you so did you know when you'd blow a call like right away did you know or did you not find out till later (gasps)
0: yeah well that reminds me of a story um you, you want a story to go with this answer? Yes, yeah, absolutely. David Garcia was the manager of the Cleveland Indians back when they played in the, what was referred to as, at the time, the mistake by the lake, the <laughs> Cleveland Municipal Stadium. 70,000-seat football stadium that the Cleveland Indians played in, and on a good night at the time, uh, they get like 2,000 people. <laughs> And I, I do not know why. We had come from the West Coast, and evidently I was still on Pacific Time, and, and I uh, uh, was in the Eastern Standard Time Zone. And a play at first base, and I missed it. And Dave Garcia comes out of the dugout. Now, Dave Garcia was one of the real gentlemen in the game of baseball. <laughs> And he, he goes, Rocky, how could you, I said, Dave, before we get into it and you say something that's going to force me to do something, and uh, that one's dead and gone, I can't give it mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, but I missed it. <laughs> so now he's looking at me, and he goes, like, well, I came out here to argue. And I said, well, I really don't see the point, Dave, I've already told you, you know, I'd I'm sorry, but, you know, I'm kind of, I make mistakes once in a while, and that was a mistake. He said, but I came out to argue. I said, well, go ahead. We can make it look good if you want. So he he starts, I was, where are you going to dinner? I don't know. And we go back and forth. He leads to a, he leads to a standing ovation from 1,900 people. Of which, later that winter, I was telling that story to a a guy on the radio in Detroit uh, by the name of J.P. McCarthy. And I I don't realize that WJR reaches Cleveland, and it, you know, sometimes reaches Florida. It's a very powerful signal. And so I'm telling him the story, and I said, well, you know, J.P., that was the first time that I learned if you have a fire drill, in Cleveland, the municipal stadium, every fan has their own individual exit. <laughs> and he started laughing. Well, the next season, I go back to Cleveland and go, "Ah, oh, yeah, bro, I heard that line about the fire alarm." Oh, so I had to live that one down. And I go, "Well, hmm, they can hear, they can hear the Detroit station in uh, Cleveland." So, yeah. Gotta- that was the first time I learned that you got to kind of watch what you say.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, that's great. Now how about what did the did pitcher ever in, do you, okay, do you believe pitchers get squeezed either intentionally or not intentionally?
2: Um
0: Let me put it uh, let me just put it this way.
2: I don't
0: I never did. Now I got mad at some pitchers. Yeah. And I got mad at some hitters, and you have to understand I came in before uh, uh, ESPN. Yeah. So if, if if you had a night where guys were being, uh, you know, we call it like you know, if, if you have a little cancer on the bench that's yelling at you, it's really easy to rid yourself of it before. Everybody becomes affected. Right. So it was one of those situations where, you know, I had situations and, and know of other umpires that called a strike on it, you know, a legitimate strike on the guy, and the guy go go kind of wild and say, oh, You didn't like that one? When do you see this next <laughs> one? And that was before ESPN, and that was. Uh, kind of mano-a-mano, man-against-man, you know. that. that was, now, let me give you the managers. We had George Bamberger that couldn't put a complete sentence together without cursing mightily. <laughs> and some of the biggest curse words that you can think of. Uh, Billy Martin, Earl Weaver. Oh, gosh. Sparky Anderson. Uh... I mean, we had some guys that were, you know, tough to deal with. Now, having said that, I believe in my heart of hearts, even though the arguments were more vociferous and, you know, just, you know, chest bumping and saliva balls bouncing off your forehead, I think we had more fun. Yeah. I mean, to me, this, uh, this replay slows the game down, and it's kind of like, uh, I'm a, I'm going to bring up an umpire because I just read this. Eric Cooper, who we lost last winter. Right. Uh, in an absolute tragedy, um, was a good young umpire. And I was watching the YouTube thing on him, and he only had three calls. three, one, two, three, All year overturned by videotape replay. Wow. So... Here's my thought. When, I mean, the last guy to hit 400 was Ted Williams a long time before I was born, and I was born in 1950. So it's kind of like, how can you hold an umpire up to higher standards? I mean... To be a great hitter and go to the Hall of Fame, if you spend a career batting 300, which means you're going to fail almost two and a half times more than you succeed. It's the only sport in America where you can fail seven times and be right three times and be considered great. I mean, if Michael Jordan made three out of seven shots, he wouldn't have been the greatest player that ever lived. And if Dan Marino had completed three out of ten passes, he wouldn't be one of the greats of all time either. So it's kind of like, all right, what are we trying to do here? Uh, Where your best hitter, if you bat a thousand times, is going to have 350 hits. You know, bat 350, lead the league, you're considered fantastic. Well, that means he made a whole bunch of outs. So... I don't, I truly don't understand how, you know, uh, this is going, uh, you know, the video videotaped replay is, you know, what it's done is it's taken out, I think, some of the color out of the game, and it's made baseball more of a corporate game.
1: Agreed. There's no. I, I like the old school nose versus nose argument. You, you don't get that anymore.
0: Well, it was like, like uh, Earl Weaver one night. Well, he and I went at it, and he said, you're, you're the dumbest umpire in the, in the American League. You can't have an IQ of over 51. I said, well, that's the case. I got you beat by 50 points. <laughs> and standing behind him were Eddie Murray and Cal Ripken Jr. in the dugout, and they heard it. And they, I saw them both spin off and start laughing. You know, those were... Those were priceless. He told me one night, he said, "I'd like to punch you." I said, "We'll run in there, and get you a stepladder. Come out here and take your best shot. I'll, we'll have your eulogy in about four seconds. I'll bury you out here, old man." Anyway, you know,
2: when
0: I look when I look back at it and I smile, it it has something to do with an argument with Billy Martin or Earl Weaver or Sparky Anderson, or you know, it's kind of like those. Those were when when men were men. I
2: mean, you know,
0: we settled settled the the problems out there. And then right towards the end of my career, I was doing a television interview with Ray Lane. And he said, uh, my next guest here, Earl Weaver says, is the most consistent umpire in the American League. (laughs) And I'm sitting there in shock because I thought he hated me. And so when he says, uh, "Welcome, Rocky Rowe, and I to, the first thing I said to him, I said, "Well, if I know he felt that way about me, I'd have treated him better." <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, man. So, but I'm just, I'm just saying, for me, um, that those were the fun. I remember, I remember Lou Pinella in Minnesota kicking dirt on Durwood Merrill. And Derwood came in afterwards, and he took his pants off, and he said, I will never, ever get the dirt out of these pants. I'm throwing them away. <laughs> and he throws he throws them in the bucket. And I go, Derwood, just a thought here. Uh, did you ever think of, like, move, uh, Minnesota's just got the little cutouts. That's the only spot on the field where there's. are <laughs> you ever think of going like 20 foot away? He couldn't get dirt, And he goes, well, I never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, kind of like, it's stuff like that that, you know, when I sit, I'll sit and an old story will kind of hit me and it's kind of, you know, but it revolves around we handled our own problems, you know. It's kind of like um, some of the funniest lines that, you know, You'd you'd ever, and and some guys were better than others. And when when you see one getting ready to go, you kind of move over, and you'll see in some of the old time arguments where other umpires are like in the area, and they're generally moving up because they know, oh, this is going to be a good one. We want to hear this. Yeah. Want to hear this line? So.
1: That are you sure Derwood's funnier than you? Because you're pretty damn funny too.
0: Well, we uh, let's put it this way. We didn't, when we were done, there weren't many dry eyes in the house. We would, we would make them laugh. But, but uh. one thing from both of us, we both kind of, we loved umpiring. And, you know, it was one of those things where uh, uh, I think it shines through on your personality. So,
1: What's the uh, angriest you ever saw a manager or a player get at you?
0: Probably uh, Cal Ripken Sr. Really? Yeah. He uh, he he and I got into it one night in uh, Minnesota. Or, I'm sorry, in Toronto at the old Exhibition Stadium, which was right by Lake Ontario. And that was another cold stadium in October. Oh, yeah. And uh, he, uh, the night before and it may still be a record, um, Toronto hit like 12 or 13 home runs in a game. Yes. And the next night I'm working the plate and he yelled out at me uh, over a pitch or two, which is not a wise thing to do because if they if they draw their attention to you and you don't do something, then Pretty soon, you got the Mormon Tabernacle Choir over there all singing together. (laughs) So it was one of those situations where I had to go over and uh, uh, talk to them. It didn't go well. And uh, some things were said that I can't really, really quote myself on what I said because Larry Barnett said that was one of the funniest lines I ever heard but you're probably going to get fined on that one and <laughs> I said I don't care <laughs> and uh, uh, anyway it, it basically revolved around if uh, I'll try to think of a clean way of saying this that if it wasn't for a, uh, the two sons being born And here in the big leagues, if they weren't a part of this program, you'd have to buy a ticket to get in here. (laughs) So kind of, and you can, and it went, it literally went from home plate to first base, first base to second base. We went to the third base cutout and it ended in short left field (laughs) with us with us looking like a couple of rams bumping into each other most of the time. It was, and uh, Larry Barnett afterwards said that was one of the greatest lines ever. uh, Part of it is I told him, uh, you couldn't manage a Sunoco gas station, let alone a major league ball club. And uh, one thing led to another, and it got kind of fiery, and I would say that that was probably... uh, The longest, but it was kind of like one of those things. And he and I, he, if you remember, he ended up getting canned. He came back as a third base coach because he was kind of, obviously he was an icon in in Baltimore. Yeah. And uh, um, it wasn't until, we, we never talked, I don't think, for probably five or six years, and finally I heard Rocky. And I'm like looking around and going, am I hearing voice and am I hear Rocky? And I look up and he's calling me over and I'm going, oh boy, this can't be good. <laughs> we had not talked for five years. And uh, he goes, I want you to know that you and I have had our differences, but I think you're a good umpire and you're always fair, you're very consistent. And I just wanted to say that to you, of, of which i got to make some humor out of it. So I said, have you heard I'm dying? Am I dying? Or what, what's, first, what's, what's bringing this deathbed confession out of you? And he said, no, nah, I thought I just, I want to kinda bury the hatchet. And I said, well, I always kind of thought that you were going to hit me with a real hatchet a couple times. So. So I'm I'm glad that there's no physical danger. He said, Nah, he said you're you're good on par so it was like and then uh he was I don't know if, if he knew he was getting sick or what, but it was it was kind of a, maybe a year, year and a half he was out of the game and then ultimately, I you don't know, Uh, he he smoked a lot, so I um I'm not sure what kind of got him, but I believe it probably was cancer. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I I don't know if he was just making it right with me, but it was kind of like one of those things where when I heard Rocky, Rocky, I'm thinking, I'm I'm looking out in the cornfields for a few buildings. They will come, you know. I'm,
2: I'm here.
0: I'm hearing voices, which you know I've had more than one people talking in my head <laughs> sometimes. So.
1: Oh, gosh. Well, my my last three questions for you. Thanks so much for all your time. Uh, let's circle back to Kansas City. So uh, your favorite memories of umpiring in Kansas City, when you think Kansas City and the baseball stadium and the Royals, what do you think?
0: Oh, I used to chew tobacco, and I loved George Toma. Yeah. And George did not like us spitting on his carpeting. <laughs> and he would always... Larry Barnett and I and, and a couple other guys on our cruise, we used to always spit and we would congregate, you know, between innings are getting, we were waiting two minutes and thirty seconds for the commercial to be over, and he would come out. He was he would always rake the the uh, he'd rake the pitchers mound, and then he'd come out and he said, "You guys spitting on my feet." He would go nuts on us. We go, George, George, just a little, a little light. Bleach mixed with water. Come right on. <laughs> and he was he would get aggravated, but we uh we loved him. I George Tarman is the only guy I know that could make astroturf look good. Yeah. I mean, he really his field was it was like immaculate. And uh you know, I I heard the old guys talk about the old stadium in Kansas City and how the grass they said man grass was like a carpet there and anyway uh, that would be one of my favorites that that, in uh, uh, the George the, the obviously the George Brett Ivan Rodriguez story that was that was like priceless but the other uh, I gi- I'll give you another George Brett story just show you what kind of guy I, I came I came to Kansas City I flew in uh, we had an off day so I went home to Orlando and I flew into Kansas City. Well, a lot of times when we will we'll go home for an optic, Dave Phillips lived in St. Louis, so he would drive over from St. Louis and I think Durwood went with him, so they're both driving over in Dave's car. So they told me, well, when you come in, get the rental car. So I'm, I'm waiting at the airport for the Hertz bus. Well, if you've ever flown into Kansas City, that bus could be either, you either get real lucky and it's right there, or you can see it on that, you know, on kind of the arc, you can see it going, hey, this won't be too long, this is pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sitting there for about 20 minutes, and it's about 400 degrees out, and I got the plate that night, and up drives this Bronco, <laughs> and the window rolls down, and it's George. <laughs> and he goes, Rocky, what are you doing? I said, I'm waiting for the Hertz bus. He goes, it hey, won't we'll be here for some time. He says, "Hop in." I said, "Excuse me." He said, "Get in. I'll take you out there." So I said, "All right." So I get in. I said, "Now, George, me taking the seat in your car doesn't mean that you're going to get a better strike zone tonight." <laughs> and he says, "I know," but anyway, that was George Brett. I mean, he was—you know—he was—he was a good guy. I mean, I—I I can't say—and and really, quite frankly, both. Most of that club, Frank White, Bye Bye Balboni was one of my favorite. He was quiet. He, I don't think I heard him say eight words in my career. Yeah. Uh, you got George. You had John Wanton and Don Slot catching, right. and right. I like both of them. Although I did eject John Wanton three or four times. <laughs> <laughs> in his manager career, he was he was actually a pretty good manager, and I liked John Walton. But I
1: liked him as manager. Yeah, I agree. Yeah,
0: I mean, I saw I was reading something the other day. He had a better than uh, uh, he, he was above five hundred, so that that would make him good in our game.
1: Yeah, when and, I was uh, when I was, a we kid. had
0: we had a couple of like, silly plays that didn't go his way, and yeah. he got ejected. And, uh, but I but I did like him. I liked him, and then. Of course, you got uh, Willie Wilson was quiet. U. L. Washington was quiet. Frank White was a good guy. Um, when I first went to the big leagues, they had uh, Freddie Patek. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying. To, they had Kurt Stillwell was a nice kid.
1: I love that guy. Remember yeah, Kevin Seitzer? He was a
0: great kid. But they had good players there. And Dick Hauser I thought was. You know, he was one of my first managers, and I thought he was like cream of the crop. Uh, he was a nice man, and uh, his life ended way too early. So.
2: But yeah, remember
1: uh, when I was a kid? It was those Wathan teams, like you know, you were umpiring, and I was going out there like eighty-eight, eighty-nine. Remember, like Kevin Seitzer and Tartable? Oh yeah. What about Seizer Bo Jackson? I was a
0: good kid. I like Seitzer. He was. He was. You know, there were there was a lot about him that wasn't right. Yeah. And that's why I liked him because he was kind of crazy. He just—he <laughs> was one of those guys that liked to hit, and he was—he was a good hitter.
1: Really good. What about what about Bo Jackson? You have a good Bo Jackson story or memory?
0: Oh, Bo Jackson. Uh, uh, um, yeah, I got a great Bo Jackson story. We're we're in uh, we're in uh, Seattle one night, and uh, Darrow and I are standing in the outfield, and Bo's running out the left field. And he's running right at us. And so I get in a, like a line. I said, Derwood, let's get in line, linebacker position. So we get down low like we're linebackers. And he's yelling at us as he's running towards us. He says, now bow your neck, bull your neck. <laughs> we pull our necks. And then he, as he's running at us, <coughs> he does this little I mean, both of us. I mean, I felt the air go by me. It was like he took a right-hand turn, and both of us blinked and go, like, where did he go? But his last word, he says, now you got to pray I don't run over your ass. (laughs) And we started laughing. And he took that step, and he was gone. And I go, oh, my, now I know. Now I know what he did to Brian Bosworth right in this stadium. He was... He was now. I'm going to give you another, I'm going to give you another. This is, this is, I've never told anybody this. (laughs) Oh, good. His first, his first at bat in the big leagues. I was there for his first hit. Really? Okay. But his first at bat, he hit one so hard to the third baseman. He stepped on third, went to second, and he was out at first base. I called him safe. Because I was like looking at him like this guy's the fastest guy I've ever seen. I mean, I'm thinking in my mind this guy's the fast, and I called him safe. <laughs> he actually would have hit into a triple play oh, really? first at bat in the big leagues, and I and I blew the play. But I I, I was I was caught up and going like, you know, everybody had heard you know how strong he was and what a great college football player and everything, but. Him running, him running on AstroTurf was a sight to see. Plus, you know, in your mind you'd think like, holy cow, I, I would not want to have a living of where i got to try and tackle him. Because <laughs> that, that looks like that would be painful.
1: Was he the most athletic, freakish player you ever saw then in baseball? Yeah,
0: well, I also had Deion Sanders. Oh, Deion yeah. Sanders was fast. And the other guy that was really, Excuse me. Um, he he was kind of gangly, and was a great player. Was Kirk Gibbs? Oh
2: yeah. He was,
0: he was a great college football player, and uh, you know he had those long arms and long legs. And you know when he ran, he had the long hair, so it was kind of flowing. Um, I would say those are three guys that obviously could play baseball, and I think Kirk Gibson. Could have been a really good wide receiver in the NFL. Oh, yeah. So those were three guys that crossed over that were pretty doggone good good players. in the. Uh, um, I was in Baltimore the night, and Darrow and I looked at each other like I did not see that, that when he climbed the wall, when he ran the wall. Oh, you were there at the Bo Jackson? I, w- I was at second base, and I had gone out on the hit. Darrow was at third, and when he did that— I'd turn around looked at and say, "I never seen anything. you know he was like Spider man um that that was a freakish move. I never saw <laughs> I said that man just climbed the wall and came down like it was nothing <laughs> so you
2: you didn't yeah, have, that
0: was,
1: you didn't have the Seattle throw right they got Reynolds, the one from the morning track. they got Harold Reynolds, you didn't have that game right? the famous throw
0: um I'm guessing not. no, but that was another freakishly good player was. Junior. Oh yeah. King Griffey Jr. He made he made a catch in Detroit over the wall in right center field that may have been the greatest one of the greatest catches I ever saw. Uh another uh one where I was working home plate was the catch in center field that Jim Edmonds made. Remember when that, he went and he laid out and caught it That was here. It, yeah. That I was in Kansas City. I was working home plate that night and, and when the guy hit it, I'm thinking to myself, well, there's a double or triple. And when I saw, when I saw him do the full layout position, I'm thinking, well, this is going to be triple or maybe inside the park home run. So I just kind of halfway went down to third thinking that I might have to come back home. And when he made that catch, it was like, oh, my. <laughs> never, saw, never saw one quite that good. Some people you know, say it's they, the best they, catch over. They give Willie Mays credit in, the, yeah. you know, the old polo grounds with the great catch. That, that was a, that that made Willie Mays catch look like a, just a, you know, pop fly. Not a problem. Yeah. That was one of the greatest catches I ever saw.
1: You know, I can actually remember who hit that. It was David Howard. Remember that guy?
0: Yeah. Yeah, a little middle infielder.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: Yeah. <laughs> he was a good kid, too.
1: I love those middle infielders. You know, my favorite player of all time, I've asked every umpire, do you remember Brad Wellman?
0: Brad Wellman. I do know the name.
1: Yeah, no one remembers him. (laughs) Except for me. He's my childhood hero, man. Really? Yeah, he played for the Royals and Giants. Like, 83 to 89, he was in the major leagues. Middle infielder.
0: I'll give you another nut job that I really like. And he played for Kansas City for a little while. Was Rex Hudler?
1: Oh, he's our announcer now. He's our yeah.
0: I, if you see him, tell him I said hi. Because he was he was one of those guys that I, I'm I'm gonna say was at best a fringe player. Yeah. Who played like a superstar. Yeah. You, you know, what I'm saying he just he played so far above. You know, you can you can tell when guys are like like Ger- Derek Jeter. You knew he was. Something special. You knew he was going to get three thousand hits, or Cal Ripken Jr. But Hudler was one of those guys that just made me laugh, and and everything he did was one hundred and fifty percent.
1: Well, was Steve Lyons the same way?
0: Yeah, Steve Lyons was a good guy. I had, I remember him mostly in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, uh, I wasn't there that night, but the taking down of his pants at Tiger Stadium <laughs> at first base. It's a tough thing to be remembered for your whole life, you know, but, hey, he did it, so.
1: Were you ever there when that lady came out and kissed people, the hot chick, the kissing bandit or whatever? Oh, what yeah,
0: yeah. Were you really? Yeah, yeah um, I was there when uh, she came out and kissed George Brett. <laughs> Didn't and he I smile? I, and I want to say it was in, might have been in Arlington, Texas. <laughs> it was on the road, but she came out saying "I want to kiss George Brett.
1: Wasn't he like real happy? I think I remember the picture. He's like smiling. Yeah, yeah He
0: was he was like laughing and stuff, and uh, you know, we made a joke like, uh, did she get close enough to you <laughs> to kiss you? <laughs> he goes, yeah, she was pretty impressive, you know.
2: So. What What about
1: okay? One other question I just thought of. What What was the best stuff you ever saw from a pitcher? Like stuff where you could you tell when somebody like would you say to yourself, man, this guy might throw a no hitter tonight? Could you tell that just being behind the plate so much?
0: Yeah, Um, whenever anybody asks me about pitchers, I have to give them a list. And it's about seven or eight pitches long. Um, Ron Guidry, Louisiana Lightning, was really good. Yeah. Goose Gossage, because he had his hat pulled down and you couldn't see his eyes. Was very, very menacing looking. And Catfish Hunter, when I first went to the big league, showed me something that I had never seen before. He'd pitch it on the outside strike, outside strike, outside strike, outside ball. And then he'd never go any farther. He had the best control I ever saw, Catfish Hunter. Um, my favorite. Uh, he he was tough on umpires, but he was one of the great competitors was Jack Morris. Really? You know, Jack, Jack Morris was one of those guys where he had a good ball club that would score runs for him. So he would pitch to, you know, he never worried about his ERA. If the ball club gave him six runs... Which they were fully capable of doing that. He would know in his mind, I'm not going to give up any more than five, and he had that mentality. He was a, he was a bulldog. Now one of my all-time favorite guys to work was Brett Saberhagen. Oh yeah, and Brett was one of those guys where, you know, when you when you're talking about guys that throw a heavy ball, Nolan Ryan. No, well, what people don't know about Nolan Ryan is not only did he throw the ball incredibly hard late in his career he also had an unbelievable curveball and uh i mean he would buckle people's knees because the ball looked like it was going to hit him in the head and then whammo it went right down the middle and strike three see you later and uh, Saberhagen saber was also kind of the same way in that uh he threw a very very heavy ball that sunk he was a good guy to work and then probably one of the scariest-looking pitchers was, like, Randy Johnson. Because cause at 6'10", by the time he was done jackknifing and throwing the home plate, he looked like he, you could reach out and shake hands with him. And Randy, you know, who who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, when when he first came up, he was wilder in the March Hare. So, you know, I used to tell the catcher, you know, you'll do me a real favor if you slow the ball down before it hits me. <laughs> so just, you know, I'll take care of you if you slow this ball down before it short hops me and hits me in the private part. So catchers um, are real good about protecting umpires for the most part. So
1: You probably got hit in the grind quite a bit too, huh?
0: Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm just now getting my voice down to this octave. <laughs> So, <laughs> what about
1: yeah. what about Kevin Apier? Was he a real competitive kind of a hothead?
0: Kevin Apier was in that Jack Morris
2: yeah, yeah.
0: range and that, you know, he was kinda gangly and had arms going all over the place and he threw a heavy, you know, kinda heavy ball, had a little sink to it and I go back I go back even when I first went to the Big League to uh, Denny Leonard and Denny Leonard was a good guy to you know. The guys the guys that Two strikes for you were the guys that umpires like to work, you know.
1: Greg Maddox or Larry Gura, those kind of guys?
0: Yeah, well, I, Larry Gura was was good. Maddox, ironically, I only got him in spring training. Whenever I got got him, he'd give up like 10 runs.
1: <laughs> He's probably working on and something.
0: I, yeah, I, in fact, he pitched to Kansas City one day uh, in spring training, boardwalking baseball. And they beat him sensibly. He was in there like three innings. He gave up like 11 runs. And I'm thinking, I'm not I'm not seeing the mystique here. <laughs> and, did, uh, did
1: you ever go over to the roller coaster and stuff when it was open over there in Baseball City?
0: Uh, my kids were like, I mean, I saw it, yes. But my kids were, uh, let's see, would have been in... Uh,
1: 88 was the first year of it.
0: Yeah, so Christopher was born in... 83, and my daughter was born in 85. Okay. So they were two young. You know, mom and dad, we just kind of. A good time for us was after the game, if it was early evening, I'd take Christopher and he and I'd go play golf, and mom and Emily would ride around in the golf cart, and then we'd go someplace for dinner afterwards. We just played little nine holes when Christopher was learning how to play golf. So.
1: Yeah. Well, okay, we gotta—we may have to have a part two someday. I've got so many more things I could ask you, so maybe someday we'll
0: do. Anytime, Dave. Yeah, not a problem because, you know, uh, like I said, the short-term memory loss, you know, when you when you say something, it triggers, you know. Yeah. Go, oh, yeah, I haven't thought about that in a while. Well, that's a so.
1: thing, too. I have, like, you know, I've asked you all my questions, but now that I've talked to you, I've got, like, 50 more questions. <laughs> uh,
0: and, anytime, to Just uh, – I'm not going anywhere so yeah or, good uh, uh you know i i'm I'm not planning on going anywhere but
1: uh, yeah. well my I guess my last question for now is uh, what would you like to say to baseball fans listening right now
0: um, well let's see man that's 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 like a loaded uh, loaded question i uh, I guess what I'd like to say to baseball fans right now is uh Hopefully, we're going to have a season this year. Yes, please. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a a diehard Republican, so I would say (laughs) in in this time of need, you know, we need to put all the petty stuff aside and try to get our country through this and at least honor what the president's trying to do. You know, you can vote for whoever you want, but... I think eventually we'll play baseball, and I think as a country we're going to be stronger for this. And I think, uh, you know, baseball might only be half a season this year, but it can be an exciting half. So,
2: gosh, I miss but it the, so much. But,
0: but the key is that you know, as a nation, you know, I I look at it as uh, the bickering and stuff reminds me of some of the old days of the arguments and stuff, and it's kind of like, come on, let's. Let's look at the big picture here and not make everything a political deal. We got yeah. we got some people that are sick and and uh, uh, you know, obviously, down here we feel it because and and I haven't been to a spring training game, and I don't know how long uh, because the only way I'd go now is if they paid me and they're not gonna pay me so uh, but i'm I'm jesting there, but the <laughs> Them pulling the plug on spring training was a, you know, was kind of a big deal because that, that means a lot of money to the state of Florida, so uh, and Arizona, and uh, but I I I think uh, maybe uh, late uh, middle of May or June we'll be back playing baseball again hopefully. So
1: have you ever thought about writing a book?
0: Yes, and the answer is no.
2: How come? And
0: I've ha- I've had people ask me to run for office and to write a book, and to be honest with you, if 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 you can tell in this interview, I love the game of baseball. Yeah. And in order for a book to sell, you got to say some things that are derogatory, and and you know, I had I had my run-ins with managers. But I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want to dance on anybody's grave, and or, you know, they got family members, and I never wanted to do anything that would insult the game of baseball. So for a few bucks to to write something that, you know, might put baseball or in a in a bad light, it's not worth it to me. I I w- I do a lot of speaking engagements, and uh, uh, you know fact that there's now a generation of people that don't know me from a block punt you know i mean i retired in 2002 so there's uh you know i asked i asked some people that I said when were you born they go 1996 and i go oh man so it's kind of like i can tell you stories about barry bonds and mark mcguire and but i can't tell you anything about anybody you know mike trout and yeah. and those those are the ones that people identify with so i've i've kind of lived past my prime except for guys like you and 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 good baseball fans and stuff that remember you know when you were a kid and and some of the players i've talked about tonight so
1: oh gosh what a time well uh, thanks so much for uh for all your time this has been like awesome. This has been one of my favorite. I've done hundreds of interviews. This is one of my favorites. So uh hopefully in the future we can talk again at some point and uh I just want to thank you for all the memories and what you gave to baseball and for the, the chat tonight.
0: My pleasure. Do you ever get to see George Brett?
1: Occasionally. I haven't seen uh I saw I see him maybe once every couple of years. I don't know him too well, but I do see him from time to time.
0: Tell him tell him you talk to me and he'll he'll have a good laugh and uh just tell him uh Tell him I said hi. But, you know, I, I looked at some of the guys you interviewed, Joe Randa. Oh, Joe yeah. Randa was a great kid. Uh, and I looked at some of the names, and I go, yeah, I remember him. You know, it's kind of kind of interesting. But if you if you see that wacko former second baseman that's now your announcer, <laughs> tell him I said hi. I will. He, he was Rex was—I think he was with the California Angels. Yeah, oh yeah. The last time I saw him, and then somebody told me that he was with Kansas City, and yep. I, I got a big kick out of that because he was—he was—he was one of those guys that, you know, I don't know what they paid him, but they should have paid him more because he was funny on top of being a pretty good ball player. So
1: he's a good guy too. Yeah, I'll definitely yeah. definitely pass that along. Yeah. That's classic. Well, well, thanks again, and hang in there. God bless, and and we'll hopefully touch base again in the near future.
0: Yeah, anytime. Yeah, especially you know, if you want to do something later, if we have a World Series or something that might be apropos, call me. I, will. I, evenings are better for me because I I play nine holes of golf and call it a day.
1: What a tough so. life, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So. This retirement would be great if they would still send the per diem, you know? So.
1: <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Well, well, God bless, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, Dave. All right. Good Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.